what has been driving our practice is taking a look at, uh, as we always have, as, as a continuation of how do you drive down the, um, the over-utilization of healthcare. And, and what we have really found is that you have to increase the utilization of primary care in order to decrease um, overall healthcare. Welcome to the Disrupted Podcast. My name is Jamie Preston, and today we're back with a brand new episode with Scott Middleton. Scott, how you been? I'm great. How you doing, Jamie? I'm doing well. Yeah, doing really well. Um, Scott, I, we haven't re, we haven't recorded a podcast for a little bit. I know you've been super busy with all kinds of things. What has been going on? What have you been? What trouble have you gotten into here lately? So, oh my gosh, this has been just a round robin. You know, I've been traveling every week, going around to all of our different regions, meeting with practitioners, going to assisted living, nursing homes. Uh, this week, I met uh, three physicians that are hospitalists down in uh, Hilton Head area and uh, got some really great feedback from them about what we want to do. And in fact, um, all three of them are going to come to work for us part time because they just love the model of our care. Uh, it is uh, just it, it's so it's such a pleasure, I will say, uh, being able to walk in just about anywhere and people recognize SE House Calls now. Mm -hmm. They absolutely love our model. And I mean, it used to be if you if I walked in back in the day when I owned an assisted living or nursing home or hospice and I walked into somewhere, it was like, oh, my God, there he comes again. And now <laughs> they open up their doors and they come rolling out and and give us hugs. I mean, people I don't even know and just thank us for all the stuff that we're doing. So uh, um, I feel so blessed uh, and I hope everyone in our organization does too. Yeah. I really want to push this podcast out for everybody to listen to sure. because I got so many cool things that we have coming on board uh, from, from my uh, trips around the state over the last few months and things that we're going to be um changing and doing and growing and, and now yeah and now you'll even be able to say instead of state states you we're <laughs> we're, we're moving uh, beyond south carolina here absolutely yep we're officially we have an office in augusta georgia now with two nurse practitioners over there um we're looking around in savannah and then uh we actually looked at an office up in north carolina and uh really kind of looking at maybe three different um, ways we kind of go into North Carolina from uh, the Grand Strand area, from Rock Hill, and um, and probably over from Greenville, uh, Spartanburg area too. Sure. So um, that's awesome. Yeah, that's great. So so what big things have been happening? So I will tell you the the the, the there's two things that are that are really kind of driving me at at this point. One is. Uh, looking at all the aspects of what we can do with telemedicine mm -hmm. uh, that we'll talk about today. And then really what has been driving our practice is taking a look at, uh, as we always have, as, as a continuation of how do you drive down the, um, the over-utilization of healthcare. And, and what we have really found is that you have to increase the utilization of primary care 
in order to decrease um, overall healthcare mm. uh, expenses and and overutilization. So what we've discovered is that, of course, you know, the more we see a patient as primary care physician, the more we keep track of what's going on with their labs, uh, and and keeping track of them, we can. Uh, be proactive in taking care of that patient so they don't have the emergencies down the road. Yeah. And so what we have started to discover and, and uh, is that the, is utilizing artificial intelligence in helping to our providers to make better decisions sure. about what's going on. So, you know, a provider can only make a decision based on what they know. So what they generally do is they talk to the patient, they run some labs and tests, and then they come back and maybe talk to you again, can write you a prescription or make a referral out to a specialist. But when we make that referral out to the specialist, a lot of times we're increasing huge healthcare costs. Sure. Um, and so what happens is we run a bunch of tests, then we decide to send it to the specialist. The specialist run the same damn test, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, whether that's an MRI or a CAT scan or lab work, and they'll con- they'll run that again because, of course, they want to use their own stuff, and then it's just driving up um, the cost of the care and also dragging out how long it takes to get to a decision about what the patient really needs. Sure. And so what we've discovered here is that, of course, our practitioners, nobody can be an expert in everything. Mm-hmm. And so we found that while they have all of them have good general knowledge, what we really have to look at is, all right, what do we pull out? Because, you know, you go see a, your doctor in the office. He's probably going to go back. He or she's probably going to go back and look at the last couple of visits and see what your chief complaint was, what your concerns were, look at your lab work. But he's not going to know everything that goes on with you. Right. Right. I mean, you're, you know, I'm 63 years old. There's a lot of stuff that's happened in my life and I'm healthy, right. you know, and so if you take somebody that's not been in, in good health, I mean, if they really wanted to look at everything, I mean, it could take them two days, just go through everything in your chart sure. to figure out what's going on. So what we're doing is we are, we, we put together a group in our organization called AIMS, mm-hmm. and it's the Artificial Intelligence Medical Systems. Wow. And what their goal is, is to start uh, putting together if statements, hmm. <laughs> if then. So if go back to your days of algebra, you know, when you yep. had to learn how to do an if then statement. Right. So if this is occurring with a patient, like you and I were talking a little while ago about diabetes. Mm-hmm. So if your A1C that we run a test on is above seven, well, you, I think you actually said if it's above six, you're diabetic. But if right. it's above seven, starting to get in danger zone. If it is an 11 or a 13 or 14, I mean, we've seen people with A1Cs of 14, then. Mm-hmm. So if it's seven, if it's seven, then what? So we're, we're building, like we know there's, there's certain protocols. So our AIMS team is going out there and looking at what the standards of care of stuff is done. So we know that if it's a seven, we're probably running A1Cs every three months to make sure it's, it stays intact. We also know that you probably need to be um, coached by someone who has more expertise in diabetes than mm-hmm. maybe your general practitioner does. Right. Um, you know, 
Uh, so we and if it goes to other levels, then it escalates what we need. You may probably need a pharmacy consult because we got to look at the right medicine that you're you're on. Mm -hmm. um, you also need a dietitian yeah. to to work with you. So we're putting together this specialty group of generally nurse practitioners because we're not calling them specialists, but they're they're specialists in the sense that they've worked with this kind of population. So we right. have um, we we have the diabetic specialists, we have cardiology specialists, so that if we see things in your chart as we run through it that we do the if statement, then you may need to see this specialist. Right. If you have more than twenty medications, you probably need a pharmacy consult. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so. So this team is starting to put that together and they will start running reports and helping us to go back to the patients and say, hey, based on what we're seeing in your chart, we need you to see this person. Now, that cardiology specialist, specialty nurse practitioner will then review these records and say, hey, do we need to escalate this to a specialist now? Um, and if we do, then we'll make that referral out to the cardiologist. Mm -hmm. But now... Once you get to the cardiologist, you'll have that relationship. Most of the time, they'll pick up the phone, call the office and say, hey, let me talk to the doc and tell them what's going on, what I've already discovered. I'm sending over all my reports so you don't have to run all these tests again yeah. um, and, and try to get them the service faster than yes. what they would have normally done. Absolutely. With just a yeah, yeah, which which runs up the cost, you know, if if they don't get that information, it runs up that cost for Medicare, it runs up that cost for just your regular insurances and then for the patient themselves if they're paying copays or paying out of pocket. Yeah. Yeah, so what what we've um, what we've discovered is that that by doing that kind of thing, by really pushing the envelope with sometimes just a whole number of visits. The more the more we see a patient, of course, the less likely they are to go into the hospital. And what's been kind of interesting is we've been getting rewarded from that by insurance companies. So mm -hmm. we we were just fortunate enough. I've never had this happen. Maybe other groups have where I'm getting paid for a Medicare patient or a Medicare Medicaid patient more than the Medicare allowable because we've done such a good job at taking care of our patients. So they want to encourage us to, to take a priority to see certain insurance, certain mm -hmm. patients that have certain insurance by paying us more than what the others would pay us. So that's been kind of a really uh, nice feel that what we're doing is right. But still, like we got a list from one of the insurance companies the other day, and here's a list of our patients and things they want us to do. They'll incentivize us to do certain types of visits for them uh, based on things they're seeing in their records. Yeah. And what's been interesting is sometimes they have stuff in their records that we don't have in ours. Mm. So insurance has everything about you, right? Yeah. <laughs> so your do. insurance company, because they get the bills, so they know everything about it, where we may not have all of those records and they may not have gone way back. Um, you know, so so as an important, I know uh, you you used to be a diabetic mm -hmm. and you're not anymore, right? Correct. So, uh, but at some point, you know, 20 years from now, your provider might not know that. But right. it's probably good information for them to be aware of just so that you are always constantly looking if if something happens to you to to make sure that, that that's something they're they're monitoring and watching. Yeah, absolutely. On the road. Yeah, that, that continued flow of information is so important. And uh, 
And I think it gets broken so much in our system, uh, in the healthcare system in general. And uh, yeah, and you pretty much have to. I, one of the things we've been working on, Scott, is is kind of automating even our intake systems, where you know you hand you can you hand somebody a packet at a clinic, and some of those packets are huge, and they got to fill those out by hand. And there's no reason that shouldn't be online automated and then once it's in it's in I just heard somebody talk about that the other day they they had to fill out the same information at a different clinic um, like multiple times every time they go and it's just ridiculous we have systems like that that can completely change that and take away that time I, I know the last time I went to a doctor other than ours I just, I usually don't go to the doctor but I actually when um with Sarah's wedding coming up, I wanted to have, um, I have just these bags under my eyes and I just wanted some, uh, uh, Juvederm put in there, you know, so to make me myself look better. It was just vanity. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I, I, you know, I didn't want to look bad in the pictures. So, um, I went to this, uh, to, to a, um, cosmetic surgeon, I guess is what he is. And, and yeah, I had to fill all this stuff out in paper. And then I went back for another visit and I had to fill all this stuff out again with him but yeah most of this stuff can be um you know found in the record share mm-hmm. that the the hospitals use now some doctors don't have if they don't have an electronic medical record i'd be careful because exactly. then how are they ever going to know what's going on with you mm-hmm. um out there but that that's so important for us to pull all of those pieces together but one of the things that's been interesting as Ames has started working together so they they know well if this if you're using this drug then they may need to do this and it really only prompts another visit by somebody for a particular reason mm-hmm. so it's prompting that provider so we're not going out there and saying hey we're using artificial intelligence to tell you what's wrong with you or to tell the provider what they should do. What we're really doing is to say, we're showing you that something's going on with this patient and this is why you need to see them because yeah. this flared up. Same thing with remote patient monitoring machines that we use. So a lot of times that will generate a visit because somebody's blood pressure has now started spiking or their oxygen levels have dropped. And so we really have to uh, continue to monitor them regularly so we know when to see them. Mm -hmm. Because what we're finding is that, so Ames actually took 100 patients that had been hospitalized over the last four months um, out of our practice, and they broke it down to see what, what kind of factors were were related. Well, 44 of the patients that were hospitalized um, were, were had not been seen in the last, I think it was three weeks. Mm. And so we realized, well then, okay, let's take a look if, if three weeks is too long to see certain types of patients, and then we need to determine, well, what was going on with those patients? And then we started realizing that we had patients that um, had not had A1Cs, for example, they should be done uh, every 91 days because right. evidently insurance only pays every 90 days. So you have to schedule 90. Is that not stupid? That why is. would it? <laughs> why would yeah, you want to know that? Right. Why wouldn't the, if you? And, and I guess the standard protocols maybe you don't need them any more than three months. But who's who determined that? Yeah. You know, it was probably just some doctor who willy nilly one day said, "Yeah, let's do it once every quarter." 
and that's how they but i don't think there's a maybe there's a scientific reason for it honey but so we do it every 91 days well there was some patients there that hadn't had it done and then what we realized when we started digging into those notes is that sometimes we we have patients who have another provider out there like mm. they they're pretty much homebound so we see them in the home but they they go oh well i go once a quarter to dr jones and then he runs all these labs so what we realize though is they skip dr jones's visit and then the labs don't get run yeah and so that's probably why so many practices continue to overdo and to duplicate some of this stuff because somebody's going to miss it out there and so we realized we had to have a rule and that is if you're diabetic and and if you're certain levels or somewhere then we're going to do those a1c's and it's going to automatically order it so what we can easily do now is plug it into our system have our doctor sign off on it and it can automatically schedule that lab to come out and see you every 91 days mm -hmm. so we're not dependent upon somebody either forgetting to do it or missing it yeah, you know, and I tell them, our, our providers, I, I feel for them sometimes because they go into a house and they have somewhere between plus or minus 30 minutes that they can afford to stay there because of the reimbursement. And they go into these houses and they just get bombarded with so many things going on with the patient. And so when you take a patient who has 12 or 15 different things going on with them, then how are you, and, and in the midst of that, you also, some of those are generally um, anxiety and depression if you're that sick and you're homebound. Uh, so they're dealing with a lot of emotional and spiritual and, and social issues in the home. And, and then you have some who are like, I'm not going to take all my uh, insulin because I can't afford it. It's mm -hmm. so expensive. And so then you get in there and it's just too many things to look at. Yeah. Uh, at one time. And sure. so if that artificial intelligence can set that visit up to say, this is what you need, or maybe I'm going to go ahead and send you to a specialist because I know, you, you know, or somebody who has a little bit more specialty so they, they can really concentrate on that one thing. Yeah should make a significant impact. Absolutely. I, I actually know of a family from about a year and a half ago that they quit taking their medication because it was a financial burden. Um, yeah. and, and he ended up dying in his mid sixties needlessly, you know, uh, oh, God. It, was, and, it was, and it see, was... that's where somewhere insurance, and I guess the government's going to have to mandate it, but, it, but it just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. It really doesn't. Why would we so one of the other things that happened, um, and as I've made my trips around the world, is you know we have our our providers are are very loving and very sympathetic. I will say for the most part, they're um, if if we were doing disc assessment, I'd say we got more CSs than anything. A C is yeah. you know an analytics person, and that it takes that to be a provider. You have sure. to have an analytic mind. Uh, but they're also very. They got into this because they they just love people. They're very sympathetic to folks, and so we've I've got a few providers out there that I'll run into. And one of the things that I, we start started tracking is looking at their numbers. So what are things that we want to track by provider to make sure that that we can pull and know that they're doing the best things that they can. Mm -hmm. And so we know there's some correlations with number of visits. So we certainly track how many times a provider is seeing a patient on a regular basis. 
But we also know that there's a correlation between them doing certain things like, um, you know, every visit is billed at a certain code level. So there's a code one, two, three, four or five. Uh, we bill higher for level five than we do a level one, of course. Right. And the level, those levels are determined by the complexity of the visit. Sure. And so what we found is that we have some providers who feel sorry for patients. They know that there's co-pays and deductibles and, and a level one might be, and I'm just making this up because I don't really know, but it may be a $50 visit mm-hmm. and a level five could be a, a $400 visit, sure. right? Right. But, but because they know this person's having a, a difficult time, they may just code it as a level one and in their documentation versus a level five. And, and I'm using the extreme, so hopefully nobody's really doing this, thinking that they're helping the patient. But what in reality happens is that our the insurance companies, even if it's a Medicare patient, they usually have something like a United Healthcare or a, a Humana or Molina, something like that. Mm-hmm. And those guys get paid based on the acuity of the patient. So how sure. sick is the patient? Well, the only way they know how sick a patient is is based on these clinical codes. Right. So if you go in and continue to see a patient and you only bill them at a level one or two, then what it looks like is that they're not really that sick. Right. Right. So the the, the Medicare says, well, they're not really that sick, so we're not paying you the higher amount. Mm-hmm. They're so also they're saying, losing. well, they, exactly. So so then they lose money. So, mm. so pretty much if you're under coding is as fraudulent as if you were over coding. Yeah, if not and worse. Because, yeah, because you're, you're cheating them. But here's what the other thing we found out was that providers then are judged based on these acuity levels. So if I keep saying a patient isn't sick or that sick and then they land in the hospital, Mm-hmm. Then what it looks like is that the provider didn't do a good job of evaluating or, or the the provider missed something. And what if the provider had done a better job? Maybe they even though the provider may have, they may have put a lot of stuff down and just decided not to bill it so high. But Medicare only knows what the billing is. Right. So that you so then at some point down the road, you see a provider that always bills a one or a two. And, and doesn't build those higher codes, then Medicare is going to look and say, but your patients are going to the hospital at greater rates, so you're just a bad provider. Yeah, right. Wow. Which then also <laughs> so, in turn goes back and looks bad on the practice as well. <laughs> absolutely. But what Medicare is doing is tracking everybody's NP, individual uh, NPI numbers for, for the providers, and mm-hmm. they track those. They look at how much those people's patients are costing the system and if those costs are outrageous or there's things that should have been fixed so it's like labs you know a lot of a lot of patients will say hey i don't i don't have the money i don't want to run these labs but if you don't run those labs you're going to miss something and it's going to be more costly mm-hmm. uh, to to the patient and and what unfortunately medicare also has a regulation that says we can't just write all that off you know, but but also our margins are pretty thin, you know, for for uh, Medicare, especially. I mean, like, you know, Medicare will pay us, say, the fifty dollars for a level one visit. But um, a general insurance company that's covering me or you may pay two hundred dollars sure. for that same same code. So 
um, a lot of places like hospitals in particular make up their losses on the the Medicare patients by um, by billing out um, you know other insurances out there. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a complicated financial system. So what I just try to get out there with all of our providers and and everybody who works for us is just put down what's right, you know, what's there. And also make sure that you're looking at the complexity of everything about the visit. So Mm -hmm. while you may walk into a patient's home and you you've seen them on a number of occasions and you know they have 10 different things wrong with them and they say they have a cold today and you decide to prescribe something to them to help them drive their sinuses or something you have had it was a very complex visit because you had to take into consideration 10 different things that goes on with this patient before you write that script absolutely where yeah. that provider might go hey that was easy i'm not going to charge you much for that right yeah. But, then, but then you're not getting the right data in the chart and it's having a negative consequence down the road. If they don't, you know, chart, you know, correctly, you know, and then another provider comes along and they say, oh, this man, I'm looking at their chart and they seem they seem normal. You know, it may it may and that patient may end up in the hospital because of that, because they're not being you know seen for what they really are um, as high risk. And, and that we know that bill is going to be a lot more expensive. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, so I, I think the, the biggest thing is just make sure you document everything. Also be as a provider, um, you really want to look at, I'm not an expert in everything. So I also want to reach out to the experts around me. So that's in our practice. What we're really trying to do is provide those experts. Mm-hmm. So whether it's a dietitian or a pharmacist or a, um, diabetes specialist or cardiologist. I mean, those are the guys that should really be able to help. And then also, since we do most of our in-person visits in the home are done by nurse practitioners, mm-hmm. we also need that medical doctor uh, following up with those patients. And we now can do that in telemedicine, whereas before it was just it was just impossible. There was no way that you could afford to pay a doctor what they needed to make. Um, and be able to send them into homes. And so uh, it was, it, it, it just wasn't feasible. Um, I was talking to a, a hospital medical director uh, this week, and, and I said, so uh, with your primary care practice, um, is it still pretty much a standard that you lose money? And he, he said, oh, absolutely. He said, you know, we we do we we know we're going to lose money with our primary care practice docs um and we offset that of course with the money we make with you know hospital or in the hospital or um with specialists and but for a practice like us you know we can't do that i mean Mm. we only are here so it makes it really hard out there and it really is something that the the federal government is going to have to try to adjust for over time they've got to increase the the rates for um the the primary care practices but what we found is that by combining that primary those in-person visits with the telemedicine visits then it does make it a little more affordable you know for us and and that's where it can be um it, it, we can it, we can at least pay the providers a competitive rate uh, with the hospitals, uh, but we really have to manage everything, um, you know, 
because it's a very tight margin out there with folks. Yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely. Um, but at the end of the day, if, if I can start getting paid or we start getting paid more than the Medicare allowable uh, by these insurance companies because we're keeping people out of the hospital, we're keeping them well, we're being proactive, um, you know, ultimately, and I know it's not the case completely, but when we see a hospitalization, I have to say, I feel like I failed somehow. Hmm. You know, I, I know that, you know, we can't predict everything. That's not what medicine is about. But but wouldn't it be nice if we could get closer to it, yeah. to moving on, to having those systems? And I think artificial intelligence medicine is going to be the piece that's going to be out there. It's not a, it's like I said, it's not going to diagnose you. And it's not going to tell you what to do, but it certainly is going to enhance the knowledge your provider has. Yeah, and it's going to um, give so you some triggers, more. triggers to know what yeah. to do. Yeah, like we have we have a member, we have six members on full time on the team right now, and that's all they're doing is going through and evaluating what's happening with patients, and then deciding what the rules are going to be of yeah. if then. <laughs> A, a year from now, it's going to be really interesting to see the change in the in the care and the change in how many people went to the hospital because of that team. So, right, yeah, I noticed uh, this past week, Prisma Health uh, announced that they had uh, partnered with um, I think Siemens or Sizemore or some some technology company on looking at how to use artificial intelligence. And, and again, what they were looking at is how do we enhance um, the provider's knowledge? And that's really what they were looking at. How do we give the provider the knowledge that they need to make a better decision? Sure. Um, for them, I, they, they, were, they were just starting with scheduling. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I will tell you, that's what we did a year and a half ago. You know, if you can figure out just how to get scheduling, about 25% of our patients are do not show up for their appointments or are not even home when mm -hmm. we come to their house for appointments. And so um, if we could reduce that, the, the amount of time and effort, what really just makes me sick every single day is that when we have a provider who's sitting there waiting to, to take care of a patient and the patient isn't there, which right. is why when you go to clinics, most uh, what, what most clinics will do is they will book in 25% more patients than they can actually handle that mm -hmm. day. Yep. So they know these cancellations are going to occur. Yep. Uh, yeah. So it's just like the, the airlines, the airlines do it too. They overbook and yeah. yeah Cause they know there's going to be an attrition rate. But then you get there and it, and, and some days everybody shows up mm -hmm. and you're sitting there for two hours, uh, you know, waiting on the dock, which yeah. isn't fair to the patient either. So sure. Yep, absolutely. That's Getting great. There. But anyway, lots lots happening. I think you're, you know, I, I will say, uh, you know, even though sometimes my team goes, oh, my gosh, every time we do one thing, we see another one that could be fixed and done. And I said, but, you know, you know how much further ahead we are than everybody else. Yep. I mean, especially when I have these insurance companies calling us and saying, hey, you're our number one provider in the state of South Carolina. And they do. Mm -hmm. they, I mean, they they, I bet Annika, who is our um, person who negotiates back with our with our insurance providers, she's been on the phone with all the major providers probably in the last, I, I just say once a month, she talks to all of them, and they all are so complimentary, and yet we all know we can still do better, so yeah. we're, keeping, uh, we're keeping up the, 
the work and and progress and really the um, the drive to um, to keep making it better every single day. Absolutely, it's changing healthcare. Yeah, sure. it is. Scott, thanks so much for your time, and uh, thanks for I love I love hearing these new new things that are happening. All right, well, Jamie, I will see you next week, and all the folks on the podcast so get this one out and yep. uh hopefully at least our providers can listen to this they're, Absolutely. they're doing a great job but i think they're gonna be able to do such a better job with more information yep absolutely uh, thanks for listening to the disruptive podcast with scott middleton follow us on social media on facebook and twitter at the disruptive podcast you can also help us out by giving us a five-star rating thanks for listening